everybody, welcome to episode 115 of Literary Disco, My Brilliant Friend. On today's episode, we'll discuss Elena Ferrante's novel, My Brilliant Friend, the international bestseller and first book in a series of novels called The Neapolitan Novels. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hey, guys. Hi. Hey. Julia, by the time this episode airs, I think you'll already have had your baby. Wow. What a prediction. Let's let's let everyone know now. What it is? The name and the sex of the baby. Good try. Actually, not a good try at all. (laughs) Five episodes. Lame, direct try. (laughs) Five episodes I've tried to get this, this salient information out. But I thought that was my most advanced one. Like, we're in the future, Julia. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is occurring to me. I don't think our listeners know that we record these episodes and then they usually come out a couple weeks later. So that was a nice PSA for them. Um, when I do have the baby, I will send you guys a picture or some kind of piece of information so we can tell the listeners because everyone's been very nice. But I won't tell you anything, In the Todd. meantime... I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to do. Every day that it's not revealed, I'm going to post a photo of my adorable puppy on our What a threat. Feed. <laughs> Have you revealed the sex of your puppy yet? Or are you keeping that a secret? Uh, yes, our our puppy is uh, a girl dog. Do you guys no. do you guys know the name? Ruby. Can I tell you the name? Oh, yes. It's I do. Ruby, Ruby, but that's her but her real name. Ruby is what we call her, but her real name is Rube. Rube Goldberg. That's awesome. Very nice. Because, we get it. Because yeah, we get it. Like a Rube Goldberg machine. Because there's the mousetrap. Yeah. The Rube Gold. See, the, my last name's Goldberg. Okay, very clever. Wordplay. Yeah. So her name's Rube. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep moving on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, my brilliant friend, this episode took a long time for us. I feel like we suggested reading this about three months ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, But we have finally gotten around to all finishing it and able to discuss it. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people already know about this book. Right? We're a couple yes, years behind. Yes, it's a very popular Very book. popular book. Um, it's the story of Elena Greco. Greco? The, the names are very hard in this book, so bear with it's us. Because they change mm-hmm. constantly. And her friend Lila. Yeah. Or L- is that how we Lila. Lila, you Lila. think? Lila. Yeah. Lila? He's Italian. Is it Lila? I mean, is Lila really Italian? I don't think they have a... We're really getting caught up here. Okay, two girls who are friends. I think it's Lila. And they are growing up in <laughs> Naples in the 1950s in a very, very uh, poor part of town. And this novel focuses on their uh, uh, early adolescence, into their adolescence. And apparently the other novels, I think, follow follow them all the way mm-hmm. up into their 60s because that's where this novel begins with a, a, a sort of prologue about getting a phone call from her old friend um, now that they're in their 60s or her old friend's son. So that's right. uh, um, so the and this one ends when they're 16 just right. For, for right. Context. I thought they were they're older, but no, you're right. They're only 16, which is mind boggling. Um, it is. All right. So uh, this has been the reason that we read this book is because uh, my wife is in a book club um, that she can't stand. Um, because and not because of, wow, way to reveal that. Hopefully, none of the but people you know, you know, but no, no, she, she's she's very openly aggressive with this book club because 
because she and she does this with every book club she's ever been in the ones I've been in with her too uh, because she gets really upset when people haven't read the book uh, and still show up and just want to eat and drink wine and not which is like you know the way most book clubs end up, let's be honest. Most people right. don't read the books or don't finish them or whatever. Uh, but she's kind of like, what's the point? But this was the book that succeeded on all fronts. Everybody in the book club loved it. And mm-hmm. they had like their best discussion. And they had this great night. And I came home because they were hosting it at my house. And every, like this was just like the happiest, drunkest group of women Um and they were so into this book and they like dragged me into conversations about it and I hadn't even read it yet. So I was really excited to read it. Um, what'd you guys think? Oh man, what an intro. I did not realize that whole backstory. Uh, <laughs> cool. Yeah. And then there was a pair of shoes that were involved. So, okay. <laughs> and Ryder made a pair of shoes. No, oh, you know what they made me do? They made me read um, the quote mm-hmm. that begins the book. Did you guys notice there's a quote? Um, yeah. From Don, uh, from. Uh, Faust. Goethe, Faust, right. And so they made me read that and ask my interpretation of it because they were in the big heated debate about it. And so like I gave them my my expert opinion on that and whatever I said, I don't even remember, <laughs> but they liked what I said. Oh my God, they obviously they don't know you. I would never let you walk into a room and be like, Ryder, give me your expert opinion on this. Yeah, it was great. So I just envision you walking in with like Feed a messenger bag over your shoulder and like Ryder, uh-huh. Ryder Strong, can I you got, please interpret I got to mansplain to a group of women. Like they invited me to. Oh, what a they mistake. They asked me to, guys. They asked me to. Oh, uh, um, wow. Our, our listeners are like, oh, we know what that's like. We've listened to 114 so episodes. So I, uh, yeah, I'll go. Um, this, that's so interesting hearing that story. Um, I have been meaning to read these books like I think a lot of like a lot of people um well I had a great experience where I read this book I absolutely loved it um I had been kind of saving it for a time where I could do a deep dive into possibly all four books so I was really excited to read it um I really loved it I'm sure we'll get into it (laughs) momentarily but then I had this amazing experience where it ends on essentially a huge emotional cliffhanger right and it has been literally years since I was told about these books and I was so sad that I couldn't immediately start the next one. And I had this like crazy memory of being at some book conference and somebody giving me the second book. And I like stood up and I walked to this bookshelf I have where the books are totally disorganized and they're all like facing the wrong way. So it just looks like a huge stack of paper. And I like (laughs) pulled out from the middle of it, the second book um, which this bookseller, <laughs> awesome. this bookseller had been like, I assume you already have the first one. Here's the second one, and it was in- incredible. Like this guy was my angel. Oh, yeah, wow. you got to write to that bookseller. I know. You be like, there's a, you're the best. There's a post-it in it from him. I actually think he's from the publisher, so um, from uh, Europa. Um, but I was so. Does it, it was like does the, the post say? Moment. Does the post-it say a turning point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it That's was. That's a reference it was, to our last episode. It was just so nice. So I want to, like, I have to figure out who this guy was, but, um, like, if he's listening, which he probably is, because I think that's why he gave me the book. Like, thank you so much. He gave me the second and third one. So I have them, and I'm really happy about it. Oh, so have you already started the second one? I did start. I started a little bit, and then I thought we were going to record earlier than we did, so I stopped. But uh, I have started yeah. a few pages. That's it, though. My wife, my wife is in the second one right now. But um, I guess I'm. Uh, I guess I would get along with book club because I did. I really, <laughs> this book 
I love the way it was written. I mean, I like the tone of translate it. The translation from the Italian is amazing. Um, and the story is very appealing in a lot of ways to me. So, yeah, mm. I enjoyed it. Mm, I want to I want to expand on that. Very appealing. <laughs> I know, but in I... a lot of ways to me. All right, Todd, what did you think? Um, I really enjoyed it as well, and I didn't think that I was going to, to be perfectly honest with you. And I don't know why, other than it's just not the type of book I typically read. Like I don't read a lot of books about young women in the Italian countryside. Um, <laughs> and about midway through, I was like, millions of those. I was like, oh, this is like. Um, young boys on bicycles in the 1950s, mm-hmm. but for women. Right, I had That's the same great. thought. Um, yeah. But... Except they're not killing a monster. They're not right? killing a monster, but... Uh. They're, well, I mean, they do, in a way, kill a monster um, in this. Mm. Um, mm. But I was really fascinated by the the fact that I became so invested in these people's lives. The, the stakes are so high, and the consequences are so low as it relates to the wider world. Like I liked, I liked being in this closed ecosystem of this tiny little town where a pair of shoes, in fact, makes all the difference in the world for the course of somebody's life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think we can give away spoilers. This book has sold 80 million copies. Um, but um, that being said, when I was reading it, I was always deeply into it. But I also found myself forgetting large swaths of it because it's not actually told in a really active voice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's told in retrospect. It's almost told in an epistolary fashion. Not that there's it's letters, but it seems it feels like a letter in a way. A lot of time is encapsulated in one sentence. Um, there's a lot of narrative summary, a lot of character summary, that sort of thing. Um, but I just found myself so attracted to the relationship between these two girls and the um, the constant shifting of balance between the two of them for both of them being so remarkably brilliant um, mm-hmm. and in different ways. And I so I found it vastly appealing in that way. And yet I also, by the end of the book, didn't actually feel like I wanted to read the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, that I rec- I, I'm interested in why Leela has disappeared at the beginning of this book, but I don't necessarily know if I want to read three novels to get to the point at which she disappears. Um, because I know why she's disappeared. It's obvious from this book why she has walked away from her life. Um, so uh, it, it's strange. Like I appreciate it and I liked it and I enjoyed it, but I didn't feel compelled to go out and buy the um, the rest of the series. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Um, well, you you I think for me what you just said when you when you said that it was not written in a very active voice, um, I just could not get into this book. It was so hard for me to read, and I think that that's why. Like, I, I, I've been trying to figure out why I didn't like this book. It won me over in the end. Like, the last hundred pages, I was like, "Oh, okay, now I finally care." But it took. I mean, that it took a long time for me to care, um, and I think that that's why. It's not even that I didn't care. It's that I couldn't focus. Mm-hmm. I could not focus on what was happening. I could not remember anybody's name. It's a lot of names, and that does, God. But that, I know, but that usually doesn't happen to me. I usually like that challenge. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, because at the beginning of, the, of this book, <clears> or at least in my edition, it has a cast of characters or index of characters. And I, I so I usually like books that have, but there's something about this book that I just, uh, like, I would find my brain drifting every single page. I would just be thinking about something completely different about my life, about what I have to be doing, what, and I could not zero in on it. And 
I've been trying to figure out exactly what it is, and I, I, um, I think what you said is pretty pretty spot on for me. It's just that tone, mm-hmm. that like, like the, there's a way there's a there's a way in which you know it's everyone in the town knew blah mm-hmm. blah blah about so and so, and such and such was, and it's like it's kind of flat, right? Like it has this weird flatness to, and 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 when it would go in scene, which would happen every ten pages or so, you'd get a scene. Um, it was kind of the same scene over and over again. Yeah, that which that's is why it felt a, a violent man right. <laughs> being really aggressive to protect the honor of some little girl or a woman in his life, and like the violence being awful and kind of shocking, and then everyone in the town going back to this flat, unaffected, you know. Well, and that's, yeah, that's boring. Why it, that's why. It, <laughs> that's why it felt sort of epistolary for me. Like I just, I just uh, opened up um, a page at random here. Um, and it ends up being page 275. And uh, so this is the middle of the, the page. I was proud of my friends. Along with Carmen and Ada, I criticized Stefano and also Reno because they had acted as if nothing had happened. Then time passed. Marcello and Michelle bought a green Giletta and began to act like masters of the neighborhood again. Alive and well. Bigger bullies than before. So it's like there's a lot of time that's being encapsulated in those two sentences. And what Ferrante doesn't do is sort of the classic character setting, need, motive, inciting incident scene building. Like the, the, yeah. the, the classic um, plot diagram of, of action and scene. She doesn't do that. Um, and that's why it feels um, like you're reading someone's actual thoughts versus a dramatized version of their lives. But like the diaries I talked about in the last episode... I was able to get into the flow and begin to get into the the sense of being in a person's mind. And for me, a lot of times, a great novel is recognizing that you're not seeing an author write, but that you're living inside of a character's consciousness. And that's Mm -hmm. how I felt reading this book that was in a consciousness. Yes. So let me interject here. And this will definitely go in the Julia Talks More category. Perfect. We'll Um, get a timer on it. I think this is, it's just so fascinating to hear you guys talk about this because I think this is probably the most feminist book I've ever read in my life, Mm -hmm. number one. And number two, the way that, like, exactly what Todd is saying, the way that the thoughts and ideas and friendships are played out is one of the most accurate, you know, expressions of, like, the female friendship experience that I've ever experienced too. Yeah. So like this is what my wife says. Yeah. This is exactly what Alex says. So the, and I'm like the fact that Am I really that unaffected by this? Yeah, yes. go on. Sorry. So you guys aren't used to it's so funny because like it's the opposite experience and it's completely understandable. Mm-hmm. It's like you're not used to having to think like this. You know, right. whereas for someone who's had lifelong complicated female friendships, this it's like drinking a glass of cold water like you know exactly how it's gonna taste but you're like yes this is what sustains me and keeps me alive like the drama the drama is not these men i mean there is a lot of drama in these men like controlling these women that what this book is about that we haven't said at all is there's these two women that love each other but they are competing to see who can break out of this absolutely like right oppressive horrifying place 
and which is run by organized crime on top of which is run else. by organized crime and you watch the main character Lila 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 we're all gonna call her something <laughs> different uh, <laughs> you watch you watch her you know essentially she's manipulating every man around her just to stay alive and right. it is that is so exciting and like incredible you know how I, much I personality thought... force she has and then I, the big to me it's funny because um, you know she's presented and I think every woman has had this experience like the the narrator is saying I worship my friend so mm-hmm. I've had friends throughout my life that I've had this relationship with like I worship this person she is better than me she is smarter than me she's more badass than me I love her so when you read the title you know my brilliant friend you assume it's Elena Talking about right. Lila, and then right at turn. the end, love that turn. yeah, there's a huge turn where um, Lila refers to Elena as my brilliant friend because Elena has like ridden her coattails to in this super competitive way. That's also super accurate to just become a superstar mm-hmm. student. So all of that is so accurate. Like, <laughs> I don't even know any other word to use. That it's it's right. really exciting to like feel it written out. And, um, and you know the so the Lila Lila Layla Lola character, <laughs> for me, um, you know, there's a point when you realize very early on they're in like first grade or something that she has taught herself to read, and you realize at that point that this is not a normal human being. Like this is a a, a preternaturally smart and interesting and sort of cunning human being um, who is one step ahead of the rest of the world and smarter yeah. than her teachers. And there's that great moment in the book where the teacher pretends not to remember her, which is awful. Um, but she, in my mind, Leela Lila Lola is one of the great characters I've read in modern literature. Because even though she's only 16 by the end of this book, she has the presence at all times of a person with omniscience. Um, yeah. And I think you only get that when when you are. It's like she's operating in the matrix. You know what I mean? Like she has right. she's one ripple ahead of every single other person, even as a child. And we like we all know that person. We all we all have met that person sometime before in our lives. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also that I I never trusted her, and I never trusted that what she was going to do for her friend was good. And so she always left me a little off balance, and I I found that compelling. But by the same token, and so I'm sort of interested to see your take on this, Julia, the desire to read her continuing to manipulate people around her, I was like, is it going to be the same kind of manipulations that go on? What's going to happen? Do I want to invest all that time again with that same character doing the same things? Hmm. Um, so I didn't, like, and that's the that's the sort of the troubling thing I have is, well, mm-hmm. is it going to be the same thing again? I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, the curse of the sequel, regardless. Something, sure. something I know a little something about. Um, like, is it just going to be a series of the same actions, but now she's 30, you know? Yeah. See, for me, like, I think that I needed... I need Once I realized that what I expected from the first couple hundred pages was the beginning of a novel, and what I realized when I finished the book is that this whole book is the beginning of a novel. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's actually just the first chapter, Um but I agree. I agree with you, Todd. I, 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 I it sounds boring to read more um, because I was basically waiting for the story to emerge. Like, and once the story emerged, which 
yeah, as uh, becomes this really interesting story of of how she's using what powers she has, you know, as a woman completely oppressed by, you know, she's basically being traded mm-hmm. among the men of this town and traded off by her father and and she the way that she uses that power to elevate everyone around her including the narrator and and once I realized that that's what was happening and that, you know, she's basically the superhero of this town in this situation in this time period, I was like, oh, okay, I didn't need it. I, I, I almost feel like the first 200 pages of this book could be a short story and, and like a couple pages long. And then I would have, and then I was fine, but it's, it takes a lot to get there. And it's, and like I said, it's very repetitive. It's, it's very redundant. It's like the same sort of things over and over again with not much change, even though there's, it's sort of like, and then this happened yeah, and then this happened. And, and it's like, oh man, but that's, that's, that is why it's compelling. This is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. You're acting like her manipulations work in the end. The very last it line does. is that this, this person was absolutely. No, I know? guess, I guess, but understanding her motivations, like that, that's what she was doing. It takes a while to understand that, to see exactly where this book is taking her, you know, or taking them, the two girls. And like, for me, it wasn't until they were older that I could see that. And then once I saw that, it was like, oh, that's really great. And that's really an insightful way to, but I didn't, I don't think that the first 200 pages really were necessary for that. Or, and, and, and like I said, I kept drifting. So I wasn't enjoying that 200 pages. Um, but you say you were right. I mean, you were enjoying it. So So the first 200 pages really, they really reminded me of a book that I really loved as a kid and haven't read in a long time, which is A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Um, It has the same tone of like, okay, I'm this child in this kind of weird world, but like an adult world. Um, But it also has this nostalgia and this darkness living hand in hand. So, I mean, the experience of the strange terror of being a young girl, Mm -hmm. you know, is, is very compelling, I think, in these early pages. And, you know, and what it's trying to do is set them up as something more than sexualized objects, which would they very soon become. Right. So if it started when they were teenagers, it would be all about their sexual awakening yeah. and relationships. That's a good point. Whereas instead, what we right. get is these two girls and how they relate to each other and how they're trying to scare each other, compete with each other in a non-sexualized world, which I think is really important. Because then, then we understand their personal dynamic, stage, you know? There's there's that part actually in the first I don't know, first hundred pages or so when they decide to skip school and go through the tunnel into the other side of the world basically, which mm-hmm. uh, and then you realize that you're in like a bombed out place that had been destroyed during World War Two, um, where that idea of this being sort of a an adventure um, mm-hmm. and that. That, and the reason why you needed these formative events for later on is that they were always trying to compete to see which one was going to turn back first. Like, yeah. who's going to realize that the rain has come and they're in a scary place? Who's going to say it? Um, I, that In that way, I realized as I read the book, well, that's why those early pages that I, you know, I, I sometimes have a hard time reading about people when they're six or seven years old um, in books because I'm like, I don't really remember being six or seven all that terribly well and i know Mm -hmm. formative things happen but is it the thing that changes your life all the time um but here yeah like that experience them walking onto the other side out of this real out of this little world they live in into the real world is the formative event 
of their relationship and of their lives that the wars that they fight in this small town and with each other like i said earlier the the consequences seem low until you get to the other side of that tunnel and you realize that the world is in vast tumult and that the the things that they're fighting are a microcosm of the larger world around them yeah and i think the other thing is you know in the period where they're like seven to ten or so you know class it feels like a novel about class Mm -hmm. and then manners and you get to know all the class statuses and manners of all the families in the town um but then and this is i think crucial to the female experience then once sexuality comes into play all of that changes like it doesn't really matter who's the poorest um so Mm -hmm. so you get to see the transition from this poor scary girl to this town beauty but still, obviously, her low-class status is a huge part of her life, so that's why she's both worshipped and abused. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to see the non-sexualized version of her to understand why she has to do these things or, you know, how... Like, the big manipulation that she's doing throughout the book is trying to... First of all, she's trying to be an entrepreneur. She has a vision. She mm-hmm. wants to make shoes. So she has to, like... <laughs> get her father her brother and all these suitors on board so first of all she's trying to run a small business so power (laughs) to you girl really hard uh but she's also trying to make a class leap you know what i mean and she has to use her sexuality to do that like that's her only currency that is her money so right i i and then she's quickly demeaned for that, right? Of like, course. It doesn't take long before that's turned against her. It's like she's a whore, right. and you're like, oh, my right. God. There's just no way to fucking win. So it's it's, it's interesting that you guys feel like you know where this would go because, yeah, maybe you know where it would go in her 20s, but, right. like, how many novels have you read about a female friendship in their 40s and 50s? I have no idea where this will go. I don't know. I like Ann you know Tyler. I mean? I've read a lot of Ann Tyler books, <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> enough. I do. Um, and but, also, I mean, that I was, being said, and the fried green tomatoes. I like fried green tomatoes. <laughs> uh, that being said, I do totally. I because I put up on my Facebook that I really like this book, and there are lots of people who don't like this book. And I think, you know, whenever you're recommending something, like tone is a huge part of it, and and you just have to be in there to be in someone's mind. You know, it's not the fastest paced thing. I totally agree. But if you enjoy that experience of like delving into an Italian. 1950s world right then you'll probably well there's there's also there's also a level of like um i don't want to say poverty porn but there's a level of that i don't know what the exact word for it is but it's obviously this book is is being critical of this incredibly violent patriarchal uh culture uh this time period and place but i also feel like it's kind of banking on the enjoyment of that in a weird way, like... And, yeah, it's nostalgic. And I was a little... Yeah. yeah and I was a little like, ugh. Yeah. Like, I just don't know if I want to keep reading about this. And I don't know if I'm... I don't want to enjoy this after a while. Like, you know, it's it's a depressing, r- oppressive world. And I thought that, to a certain extent, it's... it's That's part of what I think people... I, I don't know. You know, I, I got an argument, and I might have mentioned this on the show, but I got an argument about, cause, and the reason I'll bring this up is because one of the quotes on the front of my book says something about if, uh, or maybe it's not on this one, it's on the second one. It's something like if Jane Austen 
gotten mean she would be elena ferrante uh, or whatever a, that's a terrible you know, and, uh, examination of what this is really well what, what what that made me think while i was reading this that i got into a lot of arguments in college about jane austen because i you know a lot of people would say that she's like the great feminist writer of her time in that you know she had these intelligent female characters who were in control of their destinies da, 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 da. and i would always say no these are the most like these books are, you know, and I need to read reread Jane Austen and revisit this idea. But this is what I was saying when I was twenty or whatever. Is that <laughs> to me because the books always ended with a marriage, and because the plot was always driven, like even though these were strong, empowered females, their their goal was always to reassert the order of the patriarchy. Like they were always just trying to get married and just trying to get the. And you were like drawn into it. So to me, they were actually really. The, the least feminist books it was just that they were written by a woman and that she gave these female characters such dimension that's great like that's a great writer but the books themselves the plots themselves I, struck me as extremely conservative because they questioned the whole point was to question the structure the, the structure of society just enough to then reassert it as the the best way the world should be you know reader I married him like well, that yeah but it, it's also about First what society all, was Charlotte 200 years ago you're right you know <laughs> I mean, I don't think you can apply what our social mores are to, I mean, we've talked about this before, but what are, what defines feminism today in a book or in the world to what defined it 200 years ago? Um, You know, I think. No, of course not. But, but I would say that like a, a, a Shakespearean female character is, is much more of a sort of feminist, you know, like even like a Cordelia and King Lear than your average Jane Austen narrator. Like, that's what I was arguing at the time, is that I don't see a Jane Austen, like, protagonist, the plot itself as sort of breaking the bounds. It's, it's to me, they were reasserting the social values of the time. That was the point. The okay, point of those so- novels were to... But whatever. I mean, we're getting off. All I wanted to say about it was that I was in the same way I was questioning whether this book is actually trying like really fighting against these things in the same like to the extent that that like Julia, you saying that they are or in a weird way by by spending so much time on these sort of uh, this oppressive patriarchal culture and like lingering on it and sort of celebrating it just by the act of living in it for so long and enjoying living it. Like that's what you're supposed to enjoy. Yeah, but they're not celebrating. I mean, in order for them to break out of it, you have to, I mean, narratively speaking, in order for these characters to break out of this world, you have to establish this world as Mm -hmm. existing. So you've got to, you've got to build the structure of, this is what is expected of each of these women in this time period in order for the shift that happens in the last 50 pages to matter. In order for, in fact, the prologue to make sense, you have to establish the normal course of things in, in this world in the 1950s. So that, that Leela disappears uh, in her late 60s and leaves her son you know, looking for her at the beginning of this book is only possible when you understand... Like, we, we understand that that happens to people now. People just, like, step away from their lives. That's the thing that happens. But to come from this previous life and do that is more shocking. So I, I get why Ferrante does it, and I, and I think it... I don't think it's a celebration. I think it's a... Um, it's a it's a foundation. It's it's you got to build the fortress before you can break it down and show these these two women as spectacular mm-hmm. objects. Yeah, and I think what is really interesting about what you're saying, Ryder, is I think that you are not seeing you're seeing feminism in an extremely idealistic 
light into how women actually have to live it out. Like, it is not, it was absolutely not an option, like, class-wise, social-wise, <laughs> in Jane Austen's era and in this world of this novel for a woman to just be like, ah, fuck men. Right. That is not, it's not a choice. It's which man owns you. Is it your father? Is it your husband? Is it your boss? Is it your pimp? You know what I mean? It's, it's, you don't get to exit this world. And I think that that is what this novel does really well is like show what a closed loop it is. There is no exit. Oh no, absolutely. And yeah, no, so I, for, I think you're misinterpreting what I'm saying but, though, because that I, no, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. So let me finish. So like for Jane Austen's world and for the, this woman's world, you know, it's not, do I get married or like ending in a marriage is bad. It's like, how do I get married in a way that is the least uh, damaging to my life? Right. Like what is the lowest level of compromise? Who is the best person that I can find? Like the, what is love in that way? Like someone who will not, rape me or not you know have an affair like is that the bar and you know it's different in every in every novel in every world but I think to expect any character to just exit those expectations would be it's too it's too unrealistic you know what I mean so to see these women essentially climb over these men or sidestep them or lie or not report their assaults you know as happens in this book um, is that is showing the most one of the more realistic experiences of being a woman that I've ever read rather than seeing some woman be like forget it I'm gonna choose to go be a spinster and right. do my thing with my <laughs> no, sister. No absolutely that's you not I mean? that's not what I'm saying at all because I, I that's actually what I most appreciate about this book is the way that it sneakily reveals like it's built it, it sneaks up on you how powerful Lila's being. Um, I love that. No, that mm -hmm. is the most brilliant part of this yeah. book. The way the the way that she actually does have power in a way that convinces all the men around her that she doesn't at the same time. That's brilliant. No, <laughs> yeah. that's that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the narrative pleasure of reading this book that as a as an art piece, um, it's and that's what I was saying about Jane Austen too. Is that I you know it's it's one thing for Jane Austen to write a book where the characters end up married at the end, but it's another thing for people to enjoy the game of getting the guy, um, and that's why mm -hmm. I feel like that's what Jane Austen. At least that's what I was saying when I was twenty. I need to reread her. I felt yeah. like that was the pleasure of reading a Jane Austen book was the pleasure of enjoying a romantic comedy, and so I, right. I and I find romantic comedies to be generally you know with a happy ending being in marriage pretty conservative and so it was always hard for me to mm -hmm. see like that's that's still a conservative book and it's it and the enjoyment of it is in fact reinforcing the the conservativeness of it and that's what i'm saying about this book is that it takes 200 pages of in, uh, uh, to get to what i think is finally like a groundbreaking representation of femininity in this time and place but those 200 pages the way you enjoy it what you are enjoying is the patriarchy is this oppressive, and and I like I said, it's 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 kind of like a poverty porn, but it's not poverty porn is not the right word for it, and I just think that it was it made me feel a little weird, like and and I don't know, I it, it I don't really have much of a point, and but but I guess I think you, <laughs> I think the point is, I think the point is, I mean, I do totally agree with what you're saying, but I think the point is is that you should feel weird. The weirdness that you are feeling right. is good, right? You know, like we all love to watch like black and white Italian, you know, boys on bikes. Right. 
my pet peeve. You know what I mean? Or to totally romanticize this 1950s world, you know, in the entire Western world. So the fact that it is so insidious and creepy is good. That's intellectually positive experience. Like the fact that you're grappling with that, I would say is a big win of the book. We don't want like a big evil monster, you know, then it's just so easy and lazy. Yeah, because if we were like, if we were going to make Italy great again, you know, and take it back to the 1950s, it would be this idea of this small town, you know, Italian countryside where everybody knows each other and everyone's in each other's business. Yeah, and that means a lot of people get rocks thrown at their heads from, you know, from high high places. I wanted to mention one piece of something that's related that something you said um, reminded me of, one of you two. Which is there's this great essay by the writer Juliana um, Bagot, or is it Baggett? B a g g o t t. I should know how to pronounce her name because we're Facebook friends. Um, but it's this essay called "The Handgun of Idle Young Attractiveness," uh, a coming of age essay um, about which was in a book called "When I Was a Loser" that um, I have an essay into from years and years and years ago. But it's been reprinted a thousand times. But it talks about a lot of the things that I guess, Julia, you were talking about, about what it means to be a woman pre-sexualization and Mm -hmm. then that moment of being sexualized when you realize things have changed, as Biggie once said. But that essay that Juliana wrote talks a lot about those things. And I kept thinking about when I was reading this book about that period of time in a woman's life where um, you stop being just a, a young person and now all of a sudden all of the world is focused on you for something else entirely in addition to being a person. And it's, it's, I mean, it's what we're talking about culturally right now too, this sort of frightening time period we're in where, where finally women are being able to say, I've been abused, I've been attacked, I've been harassed, all these things that of course we know have been happening, but that women have been scared to say out loud. Mm. Um, but the, the essay talks about, and I think in a lot of ways, my brilliant friend touches on those things about what we have abided and abetted as society for all of this time. Um, And so in that way, also this book was really enlightening to me. Um, And the way that these young girls are traded, like you said, you know, around this community, I mean, that all that stuff is horrifying. Um, I can't believe she's like married off at 16. (laughs) I know. Like, I really didn't, I, I was like, oh, well, you know, is this guy for real? Like asking her to marry? I thought it was like, going to stay in this sort of boyfriend-girlfriend zone for the rest of the book. And I was like, oh, no, they're, like, forced into adulthood right away. Yeah. I mean, like, it was just, like, five pages ago, they were just, like, you know, getting breasts and talking about that. <laughs> now we're right. already, like, which boy do we want to marry? I was so disturbed. So disturbed. Yeah. But 16 was a different age in 1915 than it is today. You know, 16 in a small Italian countryside town. Hmm. Presumably. Not that I've ever been... 16 in a small Italian countryside. <laughs> when I was 16, I looked like I was playing keyboard in The Cure, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is a great book, and if it sounds appealing to you and you want to enter this mindset, it's certainly worth a read. Yeah, and I think it's also a touchstone book of the um, 21st century thus far. And we didn't, you know what's mm-hmm. great? We didn't even go into the controversy about her being unmasked for who she really I know. is. Well, right has now. she been unmasked definitively, yes. or is it just debatable? Yeah. No, it's, Be- it's because it's I thought done. a recent, a recent thing. Okay, for some reason I thought it was, and it's just shitty. It's so stupid. You know? It's stupid. Just let people be. If they don't want to have their real lives revealed, 
shouldn't we as a society let people have that? Ugh, this makes me crazy. Yes. All right, and on that note, I'm going to go vanish into the darkness. All right. <laughs> I have to go. And next time we hear from you, Julia, you will be the mother of, what's your boy's name? <laughs>